again, if you don't know me, my name is Drew, and I, I'm in charge of, um, I'm the director of worship, music, and the arts here, um, but it's my honor to bring the word to you this morning, um, and it's also my honor um, to bring up, um, to introduce to some of you, but also to kind of reintroduce some of you to my lovely wife, Megan is here, and she's going to be uh, reading, reading the scripture this morning, so please open up your Bibles and follow along with her. Um, so the scripture is found on page 851 in your pew Bible. It is 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, again, page 851. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open, please. We will be going through them together. If you're the note-taking type, there's a, a thing in here for sermon notes, um, or write in that Bible. Um, it's yours to keep if you don't have one, the one in the pew. Um, I always joke with Pastor Chris that I have no idea how to write an intro for a sermon. Like, no clue at all. And every single time I've preached, what I've always done is just review where we've been before and kind of rehash what Pastor Chris has preached on to kind of get us up to today's sermon. I, I've, I've done that every single time I've preached. Um, but I was thinking about it, and it, it's a good practice to be in of looking at the context of where we are when we're studying the Bible. If you didn't know that, that's the, one of the reasons Pastor Chris preaches through whole books of the Bible. Um, we don't pick and choose passages very often here, um, but we usually pick a whole book, and then go through it together. Um, and part of the reason of that is you get to see the story as, as, as it was intended from start to beginning. You get to see the whole thing, how it relates to itself as the author intended it in the first place. And to know what a verse or a single passage is talking about, you need to see what's surrounding it. And so, I mean, if you happen to miss a week or a few Sundays, it, it can seem awkward to come in and be like, where are we? Why are we preaching on this? What, what are we doing here together? And, and for that reason, we always put the sermons up on Facebook and on our website and on iTunes, and you can watch it or you can listen to it to, to catch up to where we are as a community. And that's just a great way that we can kind of stay together in this journey together as a community. But you might be like me, and you might have a hard time remembering even trivial details sometimes. Um, for me, sometimes it's hard to even pay attention to what God's trying to say to me and how I'm supposed to apply it to my life with just one sermon, let alone be remembering where we've been for the past month and a half and trying to apply it along the way and make it all add up together. So at the risk of being labeled as the review guy, let's go back and review. Turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible open, I really, really encourage you and urge you, open the Bible in front of you. It is so awesome that we get to have the word of God in our hands. So let's follow on together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, opens this letter to the people who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Verse 3, he opens with, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for what he has done. And what has he done? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Pastor Chris, when he's preaching on this passage, talked about how many of us live as spiritual orphans. We're trying to earn our keep for tomorrow. But Peter's saying, he's telling us that we've been born again into an inheritance, an inheritance that counts us as sons and daughters of God. We're not orphans. We are sons and daughters. Then Peter keeps going and talks about that because of what God has done for us, we are to live as his children, learning to grow into his image and likeness. And so what is his image and likeness? Since our God, this is verse 13, since our God is holy, therefore be holy. Live a holy life by living out of the identity and call that God has given us as his children. And what does that lead us to? Praise God for who he is. Our God is holy. We are to live holy. And what does that lead us to? Verse 22, saying, now that you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth so they have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Living a holy life as a child of God leads us to love. It leads us to live as redeemed children of God. And when we live as redeemed children of God, we're secure in his inheritance and we're tasked with his mission. It leads us to love one another deeply from the heart. Then we get to chapter two and chapter two starts with therefore. Quick aside, when you're reading the Bible, if you see the word therefore, it's a hint. Go back and look what came before it so you can see what it's there for. Therefore, see, now you're going to remember that. <laughs> Therefore, because of what God has done, because of who he is, because of how he calls us to live, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And how do we do this living holy business that we're called to? How do we do that? Verse four, as you come to him, the living stone, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, he is the one that helps us live these holy lives we were created for. Verse five, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Jesus, the living stone, is building us into the temple of God, the house of God. But not only is he building us into a place for God to dwell, he's also building us to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. God is building us not only into a place for him to dwell, but as into the priests of God. And as a priest of God, it's our job to glorify him, give him glory and praise, and lead others in that duty. All of us are worship leaders. So welcome to the club. Verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that brings us up to last week. Verse 11, this is what Pastor Chris preached on last weekend. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. 
Peter's original audience were believers that had been scattered all over the Roman Empire. They were on the run from the Jewish leadership, they were labeled as troublemakers, and they were under threat of persecution of the Roman Empire. They were living in a really different climate than we live in today, especially those of us that live here in the Orange County. So Peter is speaking very specifically to a specific audience with specific circumstances and telling them, we have this God, look at what he's done. Here's what he is like and how he's called us to live. And therefore, for your specific circumstances, here's how to apply it to your life. Here's how we are to live. And it brings us up to today's passage. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Peter starts out with a directive about submission, and specifically submitting to authority. Now, the Roman Empire at this time was Nero. And if you remember any of your church history or even just ancient Roman history, Nero was the crazy one that burned down half of Rome, and legend has it, played his fiddle on the porch as he watched it burn. But then afterwards, he blamed it on the Christians. And so this is right at a time when tensions are already high about Christians in the Roman Empire. This is about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. And so Peter is writing during this really tense time. Now, the open war on Christians hasn't been declared yet, but it's still really tense. And yet, Peter is saying that, hey guys, I'm making it very clear for you as believers, you are to submit to the authority that's over you. Whether it's the emperor or the local governor that has come. Whoever it is who's in authority, submit to them. Now, you're not to submit to them because of the position or the title or because the leader's particularly charismatic. You're to submit to them for the Lord's sake. Let's keep going. We're going to pick part pieces of this, but let's go through the whole passage and then see how it applies to us. Verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now again, this points back to why we live this way. It is God's will that we live this way. And he's also, Peter's also encouraging his readers to live in such a way that those governors he was just talking about are able to commend them. Because he's saying, hey, you guys know where you live. You're not really very high in the social status, but there's these governors that are sent by the emperor who are sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. So live in such a way that you can be commended in your community, not only to silence the talk of those who speak ill against you, not only to save you from persecution that might be coming, but also, like he said in verse 12, so that others who look at that and see what you're doing are led to glorify God. Verse 16, live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, Peter's affirming that followers of Jesus are free. We're free from the law. We're free from sin. We're free from being enslaved to anything human. We're slaves of God, not the emperor. However, Peter's saying, don't use that freedom from human authorities as an excuse to live in chaos and insubordination. Living like that is not gonna help the church. It's gonna hurt the church. It's gonna give justification to those people that wanna persecute you. Don't throw off the authority. Verse 17 sums it all up. What he said, he's just saying it again. It says, show proper respect to everyone or honor everyone. Love the family of believers. 
fear God, honor the emperor. Peter sums it back up in one sentence. He both flattens the hierarchy of Roman civilization and at the same time establishes a new hierarchy of how Christians are supposed to live and who they're supposed to have allegiance to. He uses the same word, honor, for both all people and the emperor. And so what he's doing is he's saying, guys, just honor the emperor like you would anyone else. He's bringing the emperor down. At that time, emperors were considered to be like gods. And he's saying, no, 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 the emperor is like anyone else. But at the same time, he's saying, everyone else, you're also supposed to honor. Don't be like the people that don't follow Christ around you, that look down on those slaves and look up to those rulers. Honor everyone above yourself. That's the baseline. Martin Luther uh, sums it up really well. Last weekend, we celebrated Reformation Sunday, celebrating the Reformation in the church as Martin Luther and other reformers hundreds of years ago were calling the church back to the Bible. And he, he sums it up really well, Peter's baseline. He says, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant to all, subject to all. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, but a Christian is also a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Peter's next baseline after saying, honor everyone above yourself, is love the family of believers. Treat fellow Christians as members of your own fa family. Love and serve them as your own flesh and blood. And then finally, the top of that pyramid for Peter now is God alone is to be revered. All people are to be honored, but God alone is to be feared and revered and given awe. So he's putting forth this new hierarchy of, of relating to people around you that's supposed to dictate how Christians engage with the people around them. By putting things in the right perspective, in the right order, he's calling Christians to act as Christians first, with first Christ-like principles in all their relationships. And this is not just because it's a good idea, not just because there's some law that's telling them. This is a witness for the Lord. It's for the sake of the Lord to be a witness, whether in their household or outside in society. They're able to be a witness, especially when they're relating to the non-believers that are around them. So Peter is writing this very specific first step in this next part of the letter. He's summed up the intro, what we believe, who we worship, how we are called to live. And then he's now starting here and for the next couple weeks, we're going to be digging into how Peter's saying, and here's how it lands in your normal life. So for us, how does it land in our normal life? What are the things that we can take out of this? What does it look like for us today to submit for the Lord's sake to all human authorities? You might say, well, true, it's all well and good that, you know, for those early Christians, but we live in a very different time today. We're not under fear of persecution or threat of death. We have different freedoms. You know, we don't got to do everything that Peter's saying here. And I would agree with you to a point. And while Peter happens to be writing during a time when raising a voice in protest against the authorities of the state would have been unthinkable, I think that he's still speaking truth that can apply to our lives. So how does this translate to our day? So first, let's look at the word submit. 
This is a dirty word for a lot of people today. We don't like to submit. A dictionary definition of submission is, you can write this down, to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. To give over or yield to the power or authority of another. Now in the New Testament, there's five Greek words that all translate into the English word submit. Five different Greek words and they all have slightly different nuances. And so the one that Peter uses here, the Greek word for submit here, the nuances, it's a military term of submission. It's surrendering. But he's using it in a non-military context. And so the idea here is more of yielding to the admonition or advice of someone else or obeying a command. The point of this is, it's a willing decision. Peter is saying, hey, you have been redeemed. You're not the slaves of the emperor. You're not the slaves of anyone. You're the slaves of God. So I'm telling you to willingly submit to those other authorities. You don't have to. Do it willingly. Submit your own authority under the authority of the government. And this wasn't just to spare them persecution. Because what he's saying here is he says, do this for the Lord's sake, because it's God's will. Now, there's other places in Scripture, Paul writes about a lot in Philippians and Ephesians and other places, that talk about how we're to submit to each other. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Children, submit to your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. And it talks about how we're supposed to relate to each other out of Christ-like love. But Peter, this one is the only one that talks about what our motivation for doing so is. Peter says the reason we submit to each other, the reason you willingly submit your authority under the authority of the government is to please God and to have a special impact on our society. So, if submitting to those in authority over us is done for the sake of the Lord, and if it helps others to glorify him because of it, then it's an act of worship. Submitting to authority for the Lord's sake is an act of worship. Submitting to the government for the sake of the Lord is a way that I worship God. What? Church and state are separated, right, Drew? What does this mean? How am I supposed to worship God by submitting to the government? I think it means that Christians need to be the best citizens. We need to be known for our respect and our even-handed work in politics and the political arena. We need to have the reputation of being known for our respect of the government, even when we disagree. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about protecting our own interests or our own investments or accumulating power for ourselves by making that decision or working with those people or standing up for this thing. It's for the sake of the Lord. It's to glorify him. And for that reason, we worship him by submitting to the government. Our motivation for political activity needs to be set in the context of our mission as followers of Jesus Christ. Our first task is to glorify God by bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom to bear in our world. Political ties 
social agendas, all those come after that. For that matter, social justice and altruism and just doing good works comes after that. It comes after our pursuit of the glory of God. Peter is telling his churches, do good works, but it's not about getting fame or recognition or commendation or even just moral obligation because it's the right thing. You follow Jesus, you better be good. No, he's saying do good works so that by doing it, others may see that good works and glorify God. That's the whole point. Do this as an act of worship so that we can glorify God together, so that others would see it and the believers who are working in that way can declare forth the goodness and the glory of God in the hope that others would see those good works and would want to become followers of that same God. That's the point. For Peter, submitting to the government was an act of worship and it was also an effective way to share the gospel. So what are you saying, Drew? Just do whatever the government tells me? I don't think so. I don't think this is a blanket admonishment to just bend our will to whatever government happens to be over us at the time. Christians aren't to just bend to whatever the government says, wherever they happen to be, whenever they happen to be. Peter makes it clear that our first allegiance is to God. That supersedes any allegiance to any ruler or political party. So in our submission to the human institutions we find ourselves under, we're not to do anything that goes against God's will. Because, I mean, that's the whole reason we're called to submit in the first place is for the sake of God. So for Peter's original audience, <laughs> standing up to the powers that be was an immediate death sentence. So I don't think Peter would have written in there specifically, yeah, go ahead and prote protest against things and have opposition to the government when it goes against something that you believe in. But at the same time, there are other places in Scripture when submitting to the authority of the government directly goes against God's will. And we have other places in Scripture that tell us about God-fearing citizens who live in that tension of what to do. Many of us know the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is a Jew who is living um, as an exile all of Israel has been captured and he is living under the rule of King Darius at the time and he's an advisor to the king. The other advisors don't like Daniel very much so they convince the king to make a law for the whole country saying Darius is now God, you must worship King Darius. Daniel, of course, knows that this isn't right, that he shouldn't do it. So he stands in opposition to that and continues to worship his own God but he gets thrown into the lion's den for it. A couple chapters before that, Daniel chapter 3, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you watch Veggie Tales, Rack, Shack, and Benny. <laughs> Benny's a cucumber. Um, Rack, Shack, and Benny are working under, they, they are advisors to the king, but this time it's King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and King Nebuchadnezzar has built a huge um, golden statue and said, this is my God, everyone worship it. Every time you hear the music, you're supposed to bow down and worship this God. And Rakshak and Benny are followers of the God of Israel, and they're not going to do that. And so they decide, nope, we're, we're not going to do this. We, we must worship our God. But that means they get thrown into the blazing fire. We have modern-day examples like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His protest and his opposition to what was going on at the time caused him and his followers to be physically abused and sometimes even imprisoned. 
So for the Christian, God's law and authority always supersedes humanity's. But again, we're still called as an act of worship to God to submit to that human authority that's placed over us. So sometimes that means that submitting to the government that you disagree with or oppose for the Lord's sake, that means accepting the consequences of that governmental authority. And by worshiping God through submission to that authority, we're able to glorify him and point to him as the one who we follow in the way we conduct ourselves. Daniel was able to glorify God and point to him in the way that he submitted to the law while still standing for his faith. Rakshak and Benny were so submitted to worshiping God that they submitted themselves to the law. And that gave God an opportunity to glorify himself through the miracle of saving them. In both those instances, the entire empire at that time decided to then follow God because they worshiped their God by following him and yet submitting to the authority and God worked through that. You look at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He continually pointed to God by never rebelling against the government he was protesting against. He had major disagreements. He was trying to get them to turn their head towards the moral injustices that was happening at the time, but he never once rebelled against or thought that he was free from the rule. He submitted himself to the authority and was able to, along the way, point to the reason for which he was standing up to this thing. God has set us free. God has set us free, yes. But that doesn't mean we get to choose whatever laws we want to follow or whichever rules we want to break. God sets us free from the law of sin, not so that we can be self-determinate and, and do whatever we want. He sets us free from that path towards death so that we can live for him. You look at this all throughout Israel's history and the entire story of the Bible of the people of God being subjugated to slavery or sin or death because of their own choosing to turn away from God. And God comes in and saves them, but doesn't just save them and say, okay, have fun, go do your thing again. He saves them to serve him. You look in Exodus, he saves them from Egypt to go and serve him. You look through all of Judges, he saves them from all those things to turn back to him and serve him. We are made free for service. We are made free from the slavery of sin and death so that we can be a slave of God, a servant of the redeeming, loving, delivering God of the Bible rather than the state or some king. And the best example of this, the one we always come back to because he is the best example of it, is Jesus. Jesus was absolutely opposed to the leadership of his day. He was absolutely in disagreement with how things were being run and he was absolutely submitted to the authority and ultimately accepted the consequences of that authority and the judgment against him. And the whole time along the way, he glorified God as he hung up on that cross, pointing to the one he followed, worshiping God by submitting to the authority placed over him. Now, I would be remiss to not notice that this passage comes to us two days before midterm elections. And I don't think it's, it's not part of Pastor Chris's master plan. You can talk to him about that. That's not how this works out. And I'm not here to try and convince you of some political bent at all. But I do think that it should force us to ask some questions. I do think that it should force us to open our eyes a little bit and go, whoa, okay, God, how does this apply to my life right now? 
What are you trying to say to us? Are we, as followers of Christ, letting our love and service for God be the first filter for our political decisions? I'm not saying that every action that we have, whether it's in politics or otherwise, needs to have an evangelistic motive. We don't vote to witness. We vote because we care and because it's what it means to be a good citizen. Sometimes we gotta do random acts of kindness with no strings attached. And sometimes we intentionally witness through an act of kindness and by reaching out into the world around us. The big picture, however, is that whatever we're doing, we should be doing it as a way to offer ourselves more fully to God to bring him glory and him alone. Not about protecting our interests. Not about making our opinion the loudest. Not about agreeing with that person we like. About bringing God glory. Is that the first filter for us? How are we working to bring God glory in our lives? Every part of our lives. Another way of thinking of bringing God glory, glorifying God is making him famous. When you glorify something, you make it famous. You point to it and say, hey, everyone, look how awesome that thing is or that person is. By glorifying God, we are making God famous in our lives. How are we working to make God famous in every part of our lives, to point to him? How am I bringing glory to God in the way that I submit to my boss or to someone who's in authority above me? How am I making God famous in my submission? Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. How am I bringing glory to God in the way that I follow rules? Whether it's speed limits or parking signs. How am I pointing to God and making him famous in the way I submit to that authority? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. How are we bringing glory to God in the way that we disagree with someone? When I oppose someone and argue against them, how am I doing that in such a way that makes God famous and points back to him and causes them to see that and want to glorify him too? Colossians chapter three, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We were created by God and for his glory. We are to honor the government for his sake. We are to honor all people above ourselves for his sake. We are to love the family of believers for his sake. We are to fear God above all things. Let's pray together. God, we know that you created us and that we are not worthy of coming to you. 
But Father, we, we don't fear you enough. We don't tremble in your presence. We don't recognize how small we are in the sight of you. And so we let our pride get in the way. We let our preferences get in the way. We let our egos and our desires and our hungers and passions crowd out your voice calling us to glorify you and to join with the angels who are at your throne constantly singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Humble us, God. Help us fear you first. Help us recognize how good you are and how not we are. Help us live in the grace of of the redemption you offer us and help us step into our identity as your sons and your daughters by living for you and pointing to you and working to make you famous in every part of our lives. Push us today, God. Make us uncomfortable. Cause us to have conversations with each other after this. Speak to us and let us actually wrestle with it instead of forget it in a few minutes. But let us wrestle with how we can be bringing you glory in every part of our lives, not just today, not just tomorrow, but every day. In your holy and precious name, amen.